Hi everyone, I'm Ben Tapper and this is Invisible Truths. This is a podcast for anyone who carries burdens that feel too heavy to bear, questions too vulnerable to openly discuss, or pain that you're certain no one else will understand. Even more than that though, this is a space to acknowledge and explore the invisible truths within each of us. If you're still interested, let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another week of the Invisible Truths podcast. I'm here with another amazing guest, Rayanne Madison. Uh, Rayanne, will you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes, my name is Rayanne Madison, and I'm the daughter of Albert Wayne Madison and Darlene Louise Madison. I am an enrolled member of the Boys Fort Band of Chippewa Indians in Net Lake, Minnesota. I also have strong family ties to the Keweenaw Bay Indian community in Barriga, Michigan. And I'm pleased and honored to be able to work and live in my ancestral territorial homelands here in Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan. I am Anishinaabe Quay. I'm also Mexica, which is an indigenous community from the territory now known as Mexico. And so I always say that my heart is here in the Great Lakes and my stomach's in Mexico. And I also have Dutch ancestors who immigrated to the United States in 1920. I'm a traditional postpartum doula, which means I help families of newborns and folks who have also experienced reproductive losses in the days, weeks, months, and years after birth. My passion is in the realms of all things pregnancy, birth, postpartum, traditional parenting, and I'm proud to be part of a resurgence in Indigenous communities. We are bringing back, revitalizing, reclaiming, a lot of our traditional cultural practices in those areas. Thank you for that robust introduction. Uh, I, it, it gives a glimpse into pieces, I think, of your, of your culture, the way someone introduces themselves, um, tells you about the things that are important to them, the things that they value, and uh, in some regards, the ways in which they were brought up. And so I appreciate you sharing that with us. Um, I, you know, as someone who is African-American and white, my connection with my ancestors feels complicated at times. Uh, I, I say that I have the blood of the oppressed and the oppressor running through my veins. Um, and I have never been to the West Coast of Africa where um, that side of my family is from. And so um, I, I'm aware as you were talking that I don't necessarily have the experience of standing in what I would consider my ancestral land. And so I'm wondering if you can talk about um, how it feels for you to be able to say that authentically and um, what it means for you and, and your family that, that you're able to not only name where that land is, but to also um, be standing on it at least, uh, you know, at some point in time. It feels like a huge blessing and I don't take it for granted. I really don't. I, I truly wake up every day and I thank creator for blessing me with this amazing ability to be here and to be in this body and to carry the bloodlines that I do. And 
I say this to my family all the time that we are really lucky because there have been a lot of Native people, Indigenous people from all over what we would call Turtle Island who have been displaced from their homelands. And so even some of the communities that we would consider to be Native American or Indigenous, the people that live there may not come from that area because there have been so many forced removals throughout our history, including communities from Michigan, where I live. So it feels, it feels like a big blessing for me to, to walk on this land. And I know that I'm straying too far from home because I travel a lot in my work and I get to some places and I feel really homesick. I feel like I don't belong here. I'm just really anxious and eager to get back to where I'm from. And I know that I'm really rooted in this area. And it's a big blessing to teach that to my kids and have that awareness with all of the compassion for those who, who do not have that privilege. Absolutely. And uh, would you say that feeling rooted and connected to the land itself, to your ancestral land, is a large part of your tradition and culture? And if so, how does that play out in your daily life practice and, and what you pass on to your children? Yeah, totally. It's everything. It really is. Our relationships, we believe, are not only formed between us as humans. We believe that our relationships are formed to the land itself, to the water and the sky, Mm -hmm. as well as all of the spiritual beings that exist in those realms, both seen and unseen. We call this our kinship law or our natural law. And it really is the foundation of who we are when any of those realms become imbalanced, we as humans feel that and it has the potential to make us become imbalanced in our lives. So we really depend on the health of the earth, the health of the water, the health of the sky and all of the creatures that walk and fly and swim in those areas for our own harmony and balance as humans. And part of our daily tasks is to protect and preserve that balance and that harmony. And this shows up in, even in the work that I do as a birth worker, it may not be very obvious, but I teach other birth workers and I teach postpartum doulas, lactation consultants, midwives, and people who help in that area. And part of what I teach them is that we do have these relationships. This is the root of the care that we provide to new parents, to folks who have gone through loss, to people who are looking to reclaim their traditions. Part of that is the restoration of our kinship practices and how we exist in relationship to all of creation, not just our own individual selves. As 
I love the phrase, the restoration of our kinship practices. And as you said it, I immediately felt juxtaposed or juxtaposed it against what we see playing out in our political culture. And so as you are raising your children and talking to the people in your community, how do you understand what it means or what does it mean practically to restore our kinship practices in such a divisive day and age? It means that we have to accept each other unconditionally. And this is something that it's easy to say. And so I don't mean to pose myself as like this perfect angel, (laughs) you know, like we are always constantly striving towards balance. We believe that balance is something we may never achieve. However, Each of us comes with the sacred karmic purpose of always walking in a good way and walking towards that balance and modeling it, striving for that. So it has a lot to do with how we carry ourselves in our day-to-day life. It has to do with how we welcome new life into the world and that's why this realm of birth work is so important and again it circles back to our relationships because we believe that the first teaching that a baby receives the first thing that they'll see in this world is how their birthing parent is treated and we have the power we have the responsibility to show this baby that their family is welcomed with the utmost care, the utmost love, the utmost respect, and that does not only extend to the moments after birth, but the weeks, the months, and the years after, because that's such a golden opportunity for us to start that family off in a good way. And for a lot of people of color, a lot of indigenous people, that may be uh, an opportunity for them to be cared for in a way that they may not have grown up seeing or experiencing. So I find that simply by modeling that for my kids and doing it for myself, you know, when I had my babies, and teaching others so that we have a whole society who believes in the importance of this sacred time, that this restoration can happen without, without bringing in conversations around, well, what's going on in the political world? Because it all has to do with our relationships and the care that we provide, regardless of whatever chaos is going on in the world around us. I find myself wondering how you came to be so um, connected and in tune with your ancestral teachings. You know, was this something that from jump was instilled in you? Was there a period of disconnection and then a reconnection? Um, And I ask because I'm aware of how disconnected I sometimes feel from, from my own teachings and how I move through the world. And there are moments where it feels like I have no home. Um, and, and so, I, yeah, I'm just wondering what your journey has, has been like as it relates to those teachings and to your history. Yeah, it's been a wild ride. <laughs> and it, 
it was, you know, I was not raised, I would say, in a traditional way. I wasn't raised with a lot of connection to my indigenous heritage. I was raised in rural, white, northern Michigan. And I was raised in a white community where I was the brown person and, you know, in the realm of people of color, like I'm fair. Um, so that tells you exactly what kind of community I, I was in. Mm -hmm. But our family was close. We took care of each other. We had fun. And we grew up just running around outside. We lived outside. We raised horses. And I didn't know that I was Native American until I was actually like 12 years old. I always kind of suspected because, you know, my family was white and I'm looking at myself with like olive skin <laughs> dark features. And I would always ask my mom if I was adopted and she would be like so offended that I would ask that. But I was like, I'm, I'm not foolish. Like I know there's something going on here. And it wasn't until I was 12 that she confided in me that I had a different dad to my sisters and it was like, well, duh, <laughs> I've been knowing this, but it's okay. And in that, and my mom passed away when I was 14, but in that two year time span, she did her absolute best to share a lot of resources that she had been stockpiling for the time when she would actually share this, revelation with me about my ancestry and so I got to learn a little bit of our language I learned some of our stories I learned about our homelands which I'd been born and raised in um, which was a big bonus for me and got to do a little bit of beadwork and sewing and that planted the seed for me then to when I eventually left home to go to college, unwittingly, I ended up becoming connected with other Native students through an organization on campus for Native American students. And it was really mind blowing for me because growing up in rural white Northern Michigan, I was the only Native person and being socialized in the public health, or I'm sorry, in the public school system, you kind of get the feeling like Native Americans are extinct or like really, really rare. And we're almost all ex exclusively situated in the historical past. And I, it was mind blowing for me to go to college and be like, what, there's other Native people? And furthermore, I am living in a place where there's hundreds and thousands of us. Like I had no idea. And so that was, to me, a spiritual homecoming. I was able to dive right in. I fit into that community. I ended up, just through chance, attending university in a community that was right next door to a pretty prominent tribal community in our state. And I met my husband, who is from that community, and everything just really blossomed from there we became really committed to learning from the teachers that were there on campus. I had mentors who 
taught me a lot. And teachers from different communities that I ended up becoming lifelong friends with. And this was about 10 years ago. So I've only been doing this work and living this way of life for about the, tw the past 12 years. I wasn't raised in this way of life. But that's a story that many Native people can relate to because even those who may have grown up in their tribal community may just now be circling back to their traditional cultural practices. And there's a lot of reasons why a lot of that has to do with what our communities have gone through historically, including the passage of the American Indian Religious Freedom Act, which is not passed until 1978. So literally our parents and some of us who are in, who are of the age 40 and 50 may have literally lived in a time when it was punishable by law to practice our traditions. So there's really a generation now who are going back to those old people and asking how things used to be done, looking at the stories that were carried forward. And we have our personal ceremonies as well, which are opportunities for us to get knowledge directly from our spiritual helpers, our ancestors who come to us during ceremony, who come to us during dream time, and fill in the gaps that have been missing. So that story has a, a lot of twists and turns, but I think it shows that we all depend on each other. None of us can get through this time alone. A lot of us are coming back to our traditional way of life. And that's why my work has really blown up in the way that it has, because there's a lot of people out there like me who are really searching for their ways of life. And they want to do so in a way that's respectful and they want to maybe connect the dots as to why their family did certain things. Like I teach in different communities about an indigenous technology, a parenting practice that's called the cradle board. And to the outside eye, it looks like a baby carrier and it is, but it's so much more than that. And there's a lot of spiritual and symbolic teachings that go along with that baby carrier. But the more I go out and teach about the cradle board, and I've been part of a team that's brought over 120 cradle boards to the community in the past two years, people will be like, oh yeah, my grandparents had a cradle board in the basement, but no one knew what it was for. No one knew how to use it. They just kind of seen it as like an antique item. So I hear these types of stories and there's a lot of young people now that are ready to start their own family and have their own babies. They wanna know what these things are all about and how they can do it in a good way. I'm struck by the fact that, well, two things really. One, uh, the fact that your story has had so many twists and turns tells me or, or rather reminds me that our stories are never fully finished. Right, and so it, um, in some ways, despite the fact that you weren't even aware of an entire portion of your heritage until you were 12, right? that's over a decade of life, you were still able to connect and to get where you are today. You were still able to tap in um, to your people, to your place, to your ancestors in a meaningful way. 
Uh, and so that's encouraging to me. And for those that maybe aren't happy with where their life has gone or they feel disconnected from parts of their own story, it's a, a reminder that you can pivot, right? You can turn the page. There's more to be written. And so uh, that, that is encouraging to me. And the second thing is that you are helping other people connect with their history and with their story. And I'm wondering what it feels like given your journey. What does it feel like to help others connect with their own history as well? It's pretty surreal at times. And it's also very humbling. What I find and what a lot of teachers who do this work find is that our community is very diverse. Even amongst the Anishinaabe, there are a vast amount of teachings and many different ways of doing things. So I find that sometimes the way that I teach things can be literally the complete opposite of how another teacher would present them. And that's the beauty of how we walk in balance together. So it's always good for us to share in this work. No one person can take it on. And that's been a lesson for me that I'm trying to embody and that I'm hoping others will embody as well. So it, I, I believe it's not about me, but I play an important role in this. And I carry also the teachings of our clan system, the Anishinaabe have a traditional governance structure that's called the clan system. And each clan is represented by a specific being like an animal and we're born into it. So it, it follows the line through our parents and each child is born into a clan. And so the clan that I was born into that I belong to is the Crane clan. And the Sandhill Crane, if for those of you who are not familiar, are very large birds of flight that have a very striking call. They have a very loud call and they have a number of different calls that they do for different times of, of the day and, and in their life. So in our traditional governance system and in our traditional teachings around our kinship practices, Crane clan people are and were often at the forefront of speaking for uh, on behalf of the community. So our job as Crane clan is really to listen and observe and hear what the community is telling us about what they need, what they want, what they've been through, what they're experiencing. And it's up to us to speak to those needs. So I do a lot more listening and watching, even though it seems like I'm out here speaking a lot, it's because I'm really taking the stories that people share with me and using that privilege to do something about it, to use my skills, to use my strengths, to transform these stories into something meaningful. And that feels like a really good place for me to be. My mom always would say that, I think you're going to be a teacher. And I was like, you crazy, because 
I was that kid in school that was very rebellious. I had a big mouth. I was constantly in trouble because I, I wasn't buying a lot of what they were selling <laughs> in public school. And, and I was the one that was always asking why and saying no and, and just refusing to believe a lot of what was going on in that time. And I was like, I could never thrive in this environment. I thought she meant that I would be a school teacher. And that was never a dream of mine. And it's not until now that I'm doing the work that I do that I can look back and be like, what she meant was I'm teaching others in a different way and creating our own paths like a lot of people are doing leaving behind these colonial systems and trying to make something new in this new generation while still drawing upon our our traditional our traditional practices and our our traditional values i'm wondering if if, if at some point you uh, consider yourself to have been a loud mouth and questioning everything from what I know about myself, that part of me has never gone away, for instance. And so I imagine <laughs> that part of you also hasn't gone away. And so are there instances in which you get to um, uh, express her more or where she may be more fruitful and, and useful and you intentionally um, show that side of your personality? Oh yeah, for sure. A lot of my adulthood has been spent circling back to that younger self. Hmm and unlearning all of the conditioning that taught me to suppress that person and just being unapologetic because part of what I've been finding is that not everyone agrees with what I have to say. Not everyone agrees with the way in which I do things not every I can't even get people to believe in the postpartum period Mm. but I can get many others who do and I can reach those ones who are ready and willing to listen Mm. I can also model things for people without having to convince them of anything they can simply watch how I live my life and how others in my circle live their life and other leaders in our community. And that plants the seed for their own transformation, whatever that looks like and whatever role I have to play or not in that. So I'm learning that I can only just be Rayanne. And I, the more authentically I show up for myself and for my community, the more the people who need to find me, find me because we are all mirrors of each other. And so if I see people living in a way that I resonate with, that I respect, that I wish to emulate, I know there's someone else out there speaking the same truth. And I I can only do the best I can. Mm. Mm. That resonates really deeply with me and, and with my journey. What I, what frustrates me, and I don't know if this has frustrated you as you've um, journeyed along, but once I reach a new level of development or personal growth or depth, I often discover that parts of me that I thought were the authentic me actually weren't. They were actually things I picked up along the way or ways I was um, indoctrinated or 
in my case, trauma responses that I've just been carrying for 20 to 30 years, you know? And so I feel a little bit of guilt and shame and having to be like, oh, oops, like that, that wasn't, it was me for a time, but it's not necessarily the core of my expression. Um, and I know that's part of the journey, but it's still, for whatever reason, it bothers me to, whenever I have that enlightenment and I realize, oh, that wasn't really me. Does that relate? Uh, is that relatable at all to you? Yeah, it it is 100% relatable. And I think that's a story that many of us are carrying. And it is the story of of a lot of people who are maybe looking back and learning how to have grace with themselves and how to have big, huge conversations with our hearts about, about forgiveness, about letting go. You know, these are really trendy words, but they're, they're not just words. They're, they're actions. And they're something that I'm personally learning how to do and how to embody all the time. And I've found that something that's been really helpful for me and really powerful is to think about my younger self and think about all of the things that I needed and think about times in my life when those needs weren't met and just forgive those people that let me down and realize that everyone is coming from this place of a wounded child and we don't even know what their journey entailed. But I find that it's helpful for me to remember that I'm not that same person. (laughs) You know, I'm not the same person I was 12 years ago. I'm not the same person that I was seven years ago. I'm who I am today, and that's always a new opportunity for me to do better. I've found that there have been a lot of different healing modalities that I've connected with, and I think people will try out different things and find what works for them. For me, it's been a mixture of conventional mental health therapy and a lot of our cultural practices. And there's a lot of beauty in just setting boundaries and letting things be what they will be without the need to take them personally. And also letting people that have harmed us just stay where they need to stay (laughs) and moving on with your life. So for me, it's a huge lesson in and grace. It's like you have to treat yourself like you are still that little child and you have to just give yourself a big hug in those moments and, and treat, remember that you're just a baby still. Yes, that resonates deeply. Um, and I, I especially liked what you said, you know, about the people that have hurt us. They too are just acting out that as wounded children right? Because at some point along the way, each of us has been hurt to some degree or the other. At some point along the way, needs went unmet. And if we're not conscious of that, we're just going to continue to live that out in some manner, thus hurting ourselves and other people. Um, and so for me, it, it's it's hard, but I think important to remind myself, you know, that, that my parents, you know, that may have hurt me, they 
were acting out the wounds, living through the wounds that they themselves carried, that they never got treated, that were never healed. Uh, and I have a, a strange relationship with forgiveness. Um, I don't like the definition that I've been given through Christianity. I think it's insufficient, but a definition that I've picked up along the way that has been meaningful to me is understanding forgiveness as um, a refusing or letting go of the hope that the past will be different. And that is something that I can come close to doing, even if I can't always do it, right? Uh, and in that vein, I can come close to forgiving, you know, my biological mom or my stepfather for, for the pain that has been caused. Um, but what is really, really more difficult for me is that looking at myself with grace, uh, especially my, my past self, um, looking at the people I have hurt or am actively hurting and offering grace, that, that, that's really, really difficult. And I think in my story, it's because I, I've got a strain of perfectionism that doesn't show up in school, but, but shows up in relationships. I have this idea that I have to be perfect in relationships or else bad things will happen. And so then when I'm not, the negative self-talk kicks in. Um, and so are, are you aware of um, moments in which it's hard to give yourself grace? And, and when you encounter those, what strategies do you employ to, to open that heart up and to offer yourself that grace that you need? Yeah, motherhood, it's like being waterboarded by everything you just said. <laughs> Parenthood is, is it, it breaks you open in the most epic ways and exposes everything that you've been carrying from your birth to the moment when you became a parent. And it becomes very clear during the course of pregnancy, during the course of labor, delivery, and in those first few days and weeks after having a baby that you, you are still carrying all of that stuff. You know, you're still carrying all of that stuff. And it's almost a daily task and sometimes a multiple times daily task to stay grounded in what really matters because when your baby is pulling a hot pan off the stove like you just have to respond in real time so babies are very grounding in that way because they keep us connected to reality like the, the here and the now yeah and and that time of life is an opportunity for us to care for ourselves and for each other in a way that's almost like resetting. It's like hitting the reset button. If I could come to you and provide you with the care that you need and deserve and have always needed and have always deserved, that's a moment for you to just hit the reset button, be babied, be mothered, be parented in the way that you always needed and deserved. And every, every baby that's born is an opportunity for that. So this is the medicine that these young ones bring us. They, they don't even know this, but this is the medicine that they bring. And there's constantly moments in parenthood where I'm faced with the former gifted kid, the you know, the, the kid whose mom died, you know, unexpectedly, the kid who went through, you know, 
trauma responses, the, the kid who became a teen mom, you know, and then went on to achieve lots of other amazing things. And it can be small moments like, I didn't get the dishes done. And like, I'm a stay at home mom. That's all I had to do is get the damn dishes done. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it brings me back to reality. It was like, you know, the dishes aren't really that important in the grand scheme of life. It is your past self, your past wounded self talking right now. And furthermore, I don't have to listen to the voice in my head that's telling me the dishes didn't get done because we are not our thoughts, right? So it's been helpful for me to find those little moments where I can push back on that trauma just a little bit and not have to do so in an epic way, like in front of thousands of people on social media, which I also do on a (laughs) weekly basis. (laughs) Just in the spirit of modeling for my community, what that can look like and sharing my story in that way. But parenthood is one of those crazy things that just brings all of these issues to the forefront and it makes you confront them in a better way, hopefully, so that your kids can can heal you. Yeah, I, I've experienced that. I've got a um, son at home and the grounding that he provides, the constant invitation to the present moment it is so incredibly powerful. Um, and he's already teaching me things, you know, things that I didn't anticipate. Last week, I, I, I took uh, two weeks of paternity leave last week, and so I was, I was home with him. And so I had him in the bathroom, and I was getting ready to get in the shower. And so the shower is running. I'm taking my clothes off before I step in, and I look over at him, and he's just looking at me. And it, it, it hit me in that moment that my son is seeing my naked body. And, and my, like, what, my first thought was, this is taboo because I have all this baggage about my stepdad. And then when I filtered that out. And then I, I just observed how pure his vision was of me. Like he just kind of saw me as I was. He didn't have this baggage about if I was in shape, if I was not in shape, what is even nakedness. Like he just saw me in like the purest possible vision. And it was as if he offered me a gift to try to do the same for myself, you know? And it was just so powerful and so beautiful. And it made me aware of baggage I carry about my body that. I didn't even think about, right? I'm a, a cisgender heterosexual dude, like baggage about my body is not really on my mind, but it's there, you know? And he, he gave that to me without having to do anything. He just looked. And so it, I'm sure there's many more gifts to come, but that's just one example of the beauty um, and the wisdom that he's already offering me. Um, and so as I, as I think about uh, that, and I think about um, and the grounding that, that children provide, I'm wondering what the journey what has it been like for you to help bring your children into their own stories to help them understand um, their place within the narrative of their people? Yeah. Well, first you have to throw your ego out the window. (laughs) (laughs) You literally have to throw it in the trash because your ego, it just, there's no place for it in parenting and your kids will find every way to light a fire to whatever fragments of your ego remain. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that's a lesson that I, I, I learn again and again and again and again and again. And it's been one of the profound lessons that my daughter especially has taught me. I, I mentioned that I was a teen mom. I had her when I was 19 years old 
and and she taught me that doesn't matter what I want it's all about her it's all mm -hmm. about unconditional love unconditional acceptance and she has taught me that our kids aren't our opportunity to relive everything we wish could have happened yeah. you know they are there because they are here to fulfill their purpose given to them by creator we believe that our children chose to come at this place at this time through this vessel of our bodies to experience life and for us as adults to accept that responsibility is a big responsibility. Like we really have to do right by these children. So it's all about nurturing. It's about stopping and thinking about what's really important moment to moment. And it's so much about reaching out for help, which is another lesson that a lot of us have to learn through our families because we live in a very isolated society a lot of us are carrying wounds about asking for help a lot of us are carrying a lot of internalized oppression we've been taught through our lifetime that either that when we ask for help it will not be there in the case of you know with me with my mom passing away when I was just a teenager but our kids can turn all of that around and furthermore they just teach us to have fun like we get the chance to have fun again and learn the value of play of just being ourselves of moving our body of being creative of simply enjoying things for the sake of enjoying them and that's one of the biggest gifts that i've learned so my job as their mother is to just be to just be human to apologize when I say something stupid <laughs> to my almost teenage daughter who drives me nuts on a daily basis and mm -hmm. I drive her nuts too we're both Aries if that tells you anything mm, it does <laughs> and <laughs> and it, it's just about communicating and and bringing ourselves back to community because so many of the issues that I think happen within families come from this like desperation that we are doing everything alone mm -hmm. and that we have to bear the burden of not only raising ourselves, but raising our kids. And for those who, of us who are partnered, uplifting our partner at the same time. It's really difficult work. It's hard, it's grueling, and it's never ending because <laughs> these kids don't go away and there's no pause, there's no pause. Right. So I think how I ground them in our way of life or how I bring them back to their identity is that we belong together. And so we take all of the opportunities that we can to go in ceremony and I mean like out in the woods for four to five days at a time, no phones, no nothing. And the adults are doing their thing, taking care of the camp, cooking all of the food and the kids are just running around, you know, free 
And it gives you a little bit of a taste of like what our ancestors may have lived mm. like. Because you always know that if if one of the kids jumps into the water when they're not supposed to, there's 12 other adults that can go and get mm. them. Yeah. You know, you can always know that there's going to be food coming. You don't live in this trauma. It's trauma for us on a daily basis to have to figure out where the hell our next meal is going to come from regardless of whether we live in food insecurity or not, because biologically we are not designed to be doing this all ourselves. Yeah. So the gift that I'm bringing them and that they bring to me is this opportunity to go back and accept that help. Mm. And that's why I feel so strongly about doing this work in the realm of postpartum in particular because that's such a vulnerable time Mm. and if you can imagine how hard it is to be an adult just living your day-to-day life and then someone throws a newborn baby at you it it becomes so crystal clear how much we need each other Mm. absolutely absolutely uh and i i bet the the people you work with are blessed to have you to bring that perspective and to, to bring them those reminders, you know, that we're not, not meant to be doing this alone. It's a gift to not have to be alone or, or at least to not have to feel alone. Um, as we wrap up, I like to end each episode with two different things. Um, the first is an opportunity for my guests to ask me a question. Um, so if there, is there a question that has come across your mind as we've spoken today um, that you would want to ask me? If not, that is fine, but I'd like to provide that opportunity to everyone that I have on. Yes, I would like to know if you could say one thing to new dads, to fathers of newborns about what being a new dad is like, what that, what those first few weeks postpartum are all about, what would you say? It's hard to say one thing. Um, so I'll say a few. Uh, I'll, I think I, uh, it's important to be mindful and, and present both to your child and also to your partner or whomever has helped bring this child into the world with you. Um, To be present to their needs, to be present to how they're experiencing the world, how they might be healing, uh, and to offer the excess energy you may have to them. Um, I think that's that's probably the most important thing. The second is that I'm I'm aware of, uh, especially for dads that... um, have gone through their partner and their partner has given birth either via C-section or a vaginal birth, the bond between um, a mother and their child, I didn't want to believe it, but I've witnessed it. And it it feels different than the bond between the father and the the child, uh, at least this, this early on, not less, but, but different. Um, And so I'd encourage them to be mindful of that, to, to note that difference and to respect it. Um, and it, it doesn't mean that your, your love or your relationship to the child is any less or it's demeaned or diminished. Um, it, it's honestly probably as simple as just the difference in, in hormones and physiology that is, is taking place. Um, and so to under, for new fathers to understand that, to recognize it, to see it, to name it, and then to, to observe how it affects 
small decisions, right? How, how it affects how rapidly you want to change your baby's diaper or um, how you feel about putting your child in childcare at six weeks versus 10 weeks versus how your partner might feel. I think there are a myriad of ways that this difference in the connection can manifest. And it, it's helpful to, to be intentional to it, to pay attention to it um, so that it doesn't cause unnecessary fights or unnecessary drama or so that we as, as the men aren't insensitive to, to the needs, again, of our partner. Uh, and so those two things. And the third thing I would add is specific to new fathers of young men. Um, and my, my hope um, for myself and my son is that I can teach him how to use his power and privilege to hold and create space for others rather than take up space for himself. Um, and to do that, I have to be intentional about doing that uh, in my own life with him and for him, um, for my spouse and other people in my life. And so it becomes a regular practice of naming my power and privilege and then choosing how I will use it so that I can then model uh, that for him and educate him on, on, on a way to do that that is healing uh, rather than destructive. So those are the things that I think uh, I would note so far. Yes, and those are the first three chapters of your book. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'll take it. I'll take it. Wonderful question, by the way. Thank you for that. Um, so the final thing I like to do, uh, each of the guests that I have on brings a unique wealth of wisdom and a unique set of practices that sustain them in their work. And so as you think about the themes we've touched on, childcare, connecting to tradition, connecting to history, the importance of not being alone. As you think about these and as the audience uh, reflects on these, is there a practice, a, a word, a phrase, something that you would leave with the audience that they can ruminate on for two to five minutes a day after listening to this that will help reinforce the central themes that we've talked about? Yes, and this is what was coming up for me because I knew you were gonna ask that. Mm -hmm. And based on where our conversation ended up going, which I think was a beautiful road, mm -hmm. I would just leave you with this. And it's very, very simple, but it is to hug yourself. Do mm -hmm. go hug yourself, you know, take, take some time out of every day to simply just give yourself an internal hug and allow yourself to remember that you are sacred, that you are loved by your ancestors, that you are walking with your ancestors, that you are whole as you are, and that if there were times in your life when you weren't cared for and your needs were not met or that people harmed you, that doesn't diminish your sacredness. Yes, yes, amen and ashe. Thank you for that wisdom, Rayanne. If people want to connect with your work or touch base with you or just follow you, what are the best ways for them to do that? You can find me on Instagram under Postpartum Healing Lodge. 
And my website is postpartumhealinglodge.com. So if you'd like to know more about my services as a postpartum doula, I do work with people via a distance. So we can hop on video, we can do childbirth recovery, C-section recovery, perinatal loss, we can do lactation support over the phone. And you can also sign up to my email list. And if you do that, you will receive a book of nine traditional recipes and drinks that are used in traditional postpartum healing. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'll drop those links in the episode description. And especially for those that are pregnant or are nearing their due date, or maybe even have just given birth, I would strongly, strongly encourage you uh, to check out Rayanne and her work. Um, you know, watching my wife go through a C-section recovery and, and work through nursing, I can tell you there are some really difficult moments and, and it is a beautiful thing to have someone that is supporting you through that and help answer your questions. You have a million other things to be worried about. You, If you can be less worried about what your body is, could or should be doing because you have someone knowledgeable and supportive there, you need to take that uh, and run with it. And so if you find yourself in that phase of life and you are curious about it, just please uh, check out her website, check out her work, uh, uh, especially if you're a, a woman of color. I think she'd be immensely valuable. So I hope you all will do that. Thank you for joining me, Rand. It's been a wonderful conversation. Uh, I've appreciated you being here and sharing your wisdom. And so, so thank you so much for your time. Thanks so much for having me. And I am wishing you and everyone listening safe travels to and from your destination until we meet again. Thanks a lot. Yes. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Invisible Truths Podcast. If you appreciated my guest, Rayanne, you can find more information about her and her work in the episode description. I think it's important during this season of our lives to highlight the voices of our Indigenous brothers and sisters. So often their stories get lost in our history of injustice that we forget they too are suffering. So take a moment this week to not only learn more about Rayanne, but check out other Indigenous authors, voices, speakers, creators, and healers, support their work, and learn more about what is taking place within their communities, because they're dealing with a lot of the same injustices that our black and brown folks are dealing with in this country as well. Once again, thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Invisible Truths Podcast. Thank you for supporting this work. I look forward to talking with you soon.